Thanks for listening. Today, Chris and I talked about the different conflict systems in Dune and our first problem with the system. Thanks for listening to Fluff and Crunch, where we talk about the connection and sometimes disconnect between system, setting, and story in tabletop RPGs. So what's your last week of gaming been like? Or has it been? Yeah, not massively. I've managed an online game of Marvel because I'm in a I'm like in a, a league thing. That's a minis game though, right? Yeah. And then an, an in-person game of the, the Marvel minis game because, again, one of my players was like, oh, I can't do it because of stuff. So we were like, right, well, let's, let's play a minis game and have the football in the background. <laughs> um, yeah, I've seen your posts uh, about whales. You're aware that Wales is another country next to England, right? Come on. Yeah, it's southwest of England. I, I actually am one of the few people who knows that the island of Great Britain consists of three different countries, good, if you yeah. want to call them that. See, look, I know these yeah, things. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I think like, you, must, you must know what that is. So, yeah, so I, I, I was born in Wales. I grew up in England, but I'm like half Welsh, half English. So when it comes to sport, it's like, you know, Wales is a tiny country. Like the population is like, you know, a couple of million as opposed to the UK, which is like 50 million. Yeah. Um, so when it comes to rugby, Wales have historically been very good at rugby. So I grew up supporting Wales for rugby because like they were good and they never qualified for a the Up until 2016, Wales hadn't qualified for a football tournament since 1958. Wow. So in my lifetime, I had never seen Wales like play in a football tournament. So I just grew up supporting England and like all of the big like, sporting moments of my childhood of watching England play football and losing on penalties to, well, usually Germany. Five years ago, Wales were in, were in the Euros and got to the semi-finals. And it was like, oh, what is this? Wales are now good at football. So like my daughter's like, hey, Wales are good at football. It's like, no, no, they're good at football now. They were not for, for my entire life, childhood. This could be it. This could be a new thing. I'll tell you what, I, I, will, I will become a proxy Wales supporter. I have no idea what any of that means, but I'll do that. Uh, but I'll, I think there's something in the American psyche that is uh, naturally drawn toward the idea of the scrappy little guy. Yeah. Um, so if, if Wales fills that, like, yeah, plugs into that category, perfect. Yeah, I mean, purely based on population, we should not be able to, like, win you know, who did we play last night? We played Turkey. I mean, Turkey's got to have a mass. That's probably close to like 100 million population. And we beat them 2-0. Good. Well, I had, uh, I ran a, I ran an Octone Cthulhu game uh, last weekend. And it was, it was neat because it was for two, two friends, one of whom had never played the system and, and knew nothing about it. Like had heard of it, but that was, that was all. And the other one had not played it, but owns the Dune book. And, uh, I think owns Dishonored, had not played it, but had read those and had heard from people who had played Dishonored about that, you know, the the, the far more narrative yeah. and fluffy version of the system, but he had actually never played any version of it. And it went really well. I mean, it was yet another example of, now these are two experienced gamers. So it wasn't like I was taking someone who had no idea what you know, kind of what the tropes generally are. But yeah, this Joe was able to just jump right in. And in the quick start, he ran the, the, the Norse guy who has like battle magic spells. Yeah. And, uh, and it worked, it worked really well. And we, I squeezed it down to one session instead of stretching it out over two, which is what I had done when I ran it several months ago. And I only had two players versus four, five then. 
And so I changed some things around and we had, you know, we, they had a successful outcome. They had a good time. Um, they blew up a chateau full of occultist Nazis and there's never a downside to that. Uh, so it was good. I, I think I am, I think I've got two more potential converts to the, to the system. Excellent. So I, I feel good. And now I'm getting, um, not pressure, but I know that uh, I'm going to run something else for them and some other folks this weekend. And I'm going back and forth of either running the Klingon quick start or one of the Dune quick starts. Or rather, the, there is a Dune quick start and then there is an adventure in the back of the book. I think the quick start is actually a, a better um, adventure. Yeah. Um, I would love to see something that doesn't happen in relation to an ornithopter in the desert with spice traders. I'd like to see an adventure that's, that doesn't include those things, but... Yeah, good, good luck with that. I gotta wait. Yeah. So we want to talk about the conflict system in Dune today. And I read it. I, I actually, I last night I sat in my hot tub and I read it um, because the sun had gone down so I could be outside. Yeah, I was... And... Uh, <laughs> go ahead. I, I almost forgot. So despite having the book, I did not read it from the book. I was at work today. I was doing one thing and suddenly went, ah, I haven't read the rules. Uh, and so I spent yeah half an hour or so today when I should have, ah, it was freeze. I probably, this was a better use of my time than other stuff I could have been doing. At least it felt like it. So I, I think it's interesting how, the, how it's laid out. Five different versions of conflict. Those five sections, which you pointed out last week, are only... Like the dueling section is three is three pages. The skirmish section is three pages. Espionage is three. I mean, they're all about three some pages, four pages with the art. Yeah. And then there's a there's a a, a, a prefatory section that talks about or describes the function of or how the conflict system works in a general sense. And that's on that starts on page one sixty two, and you've got about eight pages worth of generic conflict rules and then it details how those rules work in the five different forms uh, and i thought that that was an interesting approach instead of being redundant and saying the same things over and over again it made better use of page space what are your first thoughts um, or what's what stands out to you i mean just reading the conflict rules like I'd read through like the main rules, which are the same pretty much as all of the other 2D20 ones with the exception of sort of the, the drive and the drive statement stuff we looked at last week. Um, there really isn't a lot extra of that. So then, yeah, the conflict rules, the base conflict rules seemed relatively straightforward. You know, it's it, I thought it set it up quite well with the idea of how you have, you know, you basically have assets and you have to have an asset to be able to do something and what a zone is and a zone can be different things. Uh, and then it very clearly explains the action order, which is different from other 2D20 games in that you have someone takes a turn and then nominally at the end of that turn, you pass it over to the other side and it goes back and forth. But at the end of a player or an enemy's turn, they can spend two points of momentum or threat to have another, to keep the initiative, it's got it in bold, um, to have an extra action. Or you can keep the initiative and have another one of your friends go, but then they have to pass it on. Uh, and then it very, very clearly to me explains moves and then what use an asset can be. Because it kind of goes through, you know, use an asset can be different things. It kind of explains how an, what an attack is. 
Um, the one thing I liked that is the move thing. It's got a very clever idea of a move. So you think in most games, moving is moving is you're going from point A to B and it's to get you in range of your weapon or to get you out of range of another person's weapon. Moving, this can mean different things, but it's got this idea you can either move, it's always moving an asset. You're not necessarily moving a person, but a person could be an asset, sort of. So if you're moving an asset subtly, uh, then you, if you're successful, when you do keep the initiative, the cost of that is zero, which means you don't have to spend two momentum or two threat to have another go. Or you can move an asset boldly, which again, if you succeed, there's a benefit. And in this, it's that you can move an enemy asset. Now, initially, that doesn't make any sense, but it gives this really good example of uh, the two characters flying ornithopters. The first character goes subtly and she succeeds. And then she has a freebie, keep the initiative, which she passes to her friend. So he gets to go in his ornithopter before uh, the enemy gets to go and he moves boldly. And then what he does is move into the zone he wants to be in. And then he drags the enemy ornithopter away from his friend. So I thought that worked like, because he's distracted her because he's been loud and noisy. And that was a, that was a good example of how, of how the move thing worked. Um, so that made sense. You can see that would work in other things. When I read in the, um, the, the closed play test, we, it didn't seem that you had a choice to not do either of those, but on page 166, it seems to me, it says, when you move, you may choose to try and gain an additional benefit, but there's risk to this. So if you want to move subtly, you can, if you want to move boldly, you can, that is, you can try to, but you don't have to do either. And that was something that, that I, I'm pretty sure, I mean, wording wise, that's how it seems. Now, unfortunately, in the examples, and you and I was supposed we'll talk more about this, but there should be more play examples described because I think given how different this system is from most things, the idea of moving something conceptually instead of literally is going to be hard for some people to wrap their heads around. But I, you don't have to do, you don't have to be bold or subtle. You can just move the thing and that's it. Yeah. And I, th I think... In those base rules, the move stuff, I mean, there's only one example, but you can kind of see how, that, how that's going to work in most scenarios of how, like, how things are going to work. And then it goes into this idea of using an asset. And mostly, most of this is taken up by using an asset to, to like attack someone because we've got these, these, like a whole, there's a box out of how to make an attack, which is basically you use an asset and having chosen the asset, use a skill and drive against an enemy. And if you win, the attack is successful, which normally means they are defeated, which could mean like if they're a minor character, they could be dead or just knocked out or you get the information you want. So essentially, you achieve the thing you were trying to achieve. Uh, and if you if you lose the contest, your attack fails. So it's that's relatively straightforward, like reading that. And you can kind of look at these use of using assets. And you go, oh, I, I, see, I can see how I can run most kind of conflicts here. And then they go through more things like they've got defensive assets, rules for targeting assets. You can deliver, I'm going to target someone else's asset. So that asset is destroyed and then they don't have their asset anymore. Like that would be disarming someone or destroying their vehicle uh, or, you know, stealing their secrets, I guess. For me, the problem came not from the basic rule, basically like the standard rules of the conflict. Like, oh no, this is all fine. Is when I then started to read the separate ones. Uh, and I think it's because three of them are quite different from the standard one. Actually, one of these, when we get to it, is very similar to one I've seen before, but three of these are quite different. Two of these are standard. And the two standard ones are fine, but the other three are a bit like, uh, Something that struck me too is how the difficulty is determined in most cases in conflicts. And, and correct me if I'm wrong here, if I, if I misunderstood this, but you know, 
you have a target number that's based on, in this case, a skill and a drive. Not a problem. We understand that. Merely rolling at your target number beneath doesn't necessarily mean that you're successful because this system is based around the idea of having to earn a number of successes based on your roles. And I think it's interesting how the difficulty is determined when under most circumstances, if you're going to do a role that is, if your task only requires a single role to determine success or failure, it's not an extended task. And we could talk about that. The difficulty is determined by a role of either your opponent or the thing against which you're like, if you're trying to smash something or, or find something or. Yeah. I mean, my read of it is the, 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 the move thing has a specific, specific thing right. that says uh, the move things are a skill touch difficulty of two use an asset. It's always either going to be in most of the time, it should be a contest. So it should be you're using an asset against someone else. And because of that, it's a contest, the defender you're attacking. So the defender will go first. Yep. They will make a roll. The number of successes they get will set the difficulty. You then have to equal or beat that. Um, if it is, you happen to be doing something that is not a contest. Um, I guess it will come down to the same thing as the rest of the rules. Like, well, is it, does it really matter if you pass it out? And the GM will just be setting a difficulty on the usual sort of, you know, zero, one, two. I thought it was, it's a fascinating way to do an opposed role system. In the other versions of this, when you have contests, both sides roll and then they compare momentum. Compare success, compare failure, and compare momentum. And this, in a way, I think it does the same thing, but it actually is, it does it in a cleaner manner. So if you're the defender, you roll whatever dice you would use to defend, whatever combination of skill and drive. And if you have an asset, and then the number of successes you get total is the difficulty that the other one has to, to face off against. At first glance, seems to be the same as the other versions. I think they just described it more effectively. Yeah. And some of the other ones have always been thrown with kind of where you're attacking and they're defending and you both got a roll of difficulty of one and then you're going to compare momentum and you think, well, why isn't it just difficulty zero? Right. By setting it to one, both sides are like losing momentum straight off the bat. It's making it harder. It's just much easier. I like too how this has, it, it makes it very easy to determine whether or not you've defeated someone. And like all these games, there are, I mean, NPCs are either what minor is it noteworthy or notable or something like that and then there's the your top level like your nemesis level yeah um and so the those two lower ones definitely the least of those the minor npcs if you defeat it it's defeated and and then i i guess narratively the assumption is not that you've destroyed it or i guess or killed the person unless you want to spend momentum is that or is that with an extended task or does it even matter? Any minor character is just defeated. So, I, I mean, I would have gone, it kind of depends on what the attack or what the person was trying to do would depend on what actually happens to the to the enemy, like I said, unless it's momentum. I think all other bad guys, then it counts. It's a weird way to put it because they don't have a health system. They're essentially right. There is an extended task to defeat an enemy. You have to score as many successes, not just, you know, over multiple attacks as equal to... Uh, as their highest, yeah, like the highest yeah. stat. And that's where, that's where I ran into to trouble trying to figure out, well, it, it doesn't seem, I didn't see really direct guidance or I didn't see a lot of examples that gave me an idea, a, a solid framework for, well, how do you determine that? I mean, I, I'll figure it out, you know, I'll wing it and then I'll come up with a system or a means by which it makes sense to me. But, but I do like the idea of not bean counting hit points. 
And I, I'm okay with stress in the other versions of this system because it is a simplified, the combination, it is a simplified system when you combine a stress track and also the idea of a wound is five points of stress all at once. I can live with that and I'm, I'm happy with how that works with minions in combat because they typically go down with one wound or one injury, five points of damage all at once. I like this for the mooks and more minor challenges even better because it's, I realized last night while I was reading this, like I'm not the gamer or the GM who wants to sit and keep track of NPC hit points. Like it really doesn't matter to me. Does that really help the story? Yeah. And so this cleans that up. Yeah, I think the one thing when I was kind of reading through, I was a bit worried that this, it would be very, very easy to be like one-shotting bad guys like really quickly. So like if I'm looking at some of the decent, like the named NPCs, which now I can't find. Like if you're in a fight, we assume we're in a fight, then these guys have got battles of, uh, you know, maybe six, seven, or eight. You, the damage you do is two plus the quality of your weapon. So if you attack someone... Or any asset. So if this is not, if this is espionage, yeah. the quality or, or, or uh, intrigue, the quality of your, your, um, your blackmail, the dirt you have on someone would factor into the 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 damage, I put that in scare quotes, yeah. that you do. But I'm like, kind of looking and going, right, well, if you've got a quality one asset, essentially it doesn't matter how much you beat them by, it's if you successfully attack, you do three like checks on the extended task, essentially three damage. But then if you choose to keep the initiative and do an attack, again, you just have to hit, that's another three. Um, you're pretty close in just literally one round of whether it's dueling or a wolf or whatever else, taking someone else out. And I was a bit like, ooh, that's a bit quick. Luckily, there is actually a rule for literally resisting defeat that both characters, um, and I think the enemies can do it as well, can essentially spend some momentum or some threat to just go, no, I'm not defeated now. Um, right. But they only get to do it once per scene. So, But that's at least sort of a bit of plot armor to keep, if, if you know it was relevant to keep going a bit more. Rather, I can see where, where you're coming from, that if you as the GM have presented, let's say, uh, so there's going to be a duel between a PC and some notable or major NPC. My guess is that story-wise, if you had a duel, thinking the setting of Dune, if you have a duel between a, a, a PC who is assumed to be at least a, an up-and-coming player, if not a major player in some house or or guild or whatever if that pc duels some nameless chump who challenges them they're gonna that, that nameless chump is going to lose yeah on the other hand more than likely a duel is going to be between a pc and an npc of some value or note which means it's not going to be the one and done hit the, the defeat it's going to be this extended track and in that kind of situation you as gm would want to use threat to create advantages for your for the npc to you know to end the fight before you know, the duel rather before the uh the, the noteworthy npc gets killed or or defeated or something like that i think it just puts more onto the gm to use the other subsystems the other economies to shape it so that the story goes in an interesting direction not just hey i piled up points and i I knocked you down. The conflict sections it reads, and there is actually a thing before, like right at the start of it kind of says, you know, you can use this for any form of conflict, 
but there's five specific ones we've given further rules on, but you can just use this general system. I actually think the standard conflict rules would suffice. You could not step into the other stuff uh, and you'd probably be okay. And there is a conflict system, which is the most common to like standard role-playing fighting. So the skirmish is basically, skirmish is what you'd expect in any other role-playing game. You have essentially each each character like is sort of their own asset. They move themselves to different zones. They attack enemies. And the subtly and the boldly stuff is like, it's a way of like you're charging into a zone and scaring everyone so they run out or you're you're trying to sneak into a zone. Um, and you can attack people in your zone or further away if you've got ranged weapons. And it and it, it's really you know it's really straightforward. It pretty much that's the one that closely most closely models the base conflict system. You know, assets are, are weapons or defensive stuff. Zones are areas on a battlefield. Moving is taking a character from one zone to another zone. And if you defeat people, you know they're they're KO'd or they're dead or or they're whatever. Um, and so that one was like, great, I can totally see how I can play this game and do skirmishes, uh, and everything's fine. It was when I started looking at some of the other sections that I started having issues. Yeah, I think that if someone were new to this style of game this more far more narrative and conceptual like one role in a combat does not represent one sword thrust or one trigger pull or something like that it's it's i mean it says right in here you know that it doesn't do that and this could represent you know many moments of cut thrust and parry and that kind of thing and and, but it's actually only one role but then you would describe it out over over you know more time than that I think that if someone were coming to this game from a more traditional, um, concrete, we want to call it that, um, conflict type system, which is pretty much the norm in every other game, I would read the generic conflict rules first, and then I would go to the skirmish rules. Yeah. When I first looked at the dueling rules, like initially when I got the book and last week when we were going over it, uh, and I kind of looked at this this idea of there's a target and there's guards and you're opposite the other person's guard and then their target zone, which is kind of them. Uh, and kind of looked at movement was moving an asset to try and like you're stabbing someone in the left or the right, just skimming it. It was like, oh, this is really clever. Having read it in detail now, I can honestly say I have absolutely no idea how to do a duel. I, I don't understand because there's no, there's no good example. There's an example of like someone doing a subtle move. It's just not, to me, it's not very clear. I don't quite understand. I get that you start off, you've got, you can have two weapons, weapon in your left guard, right guard zone. I'm puzzling about how, like, do I have to move into their guard and then through their guard to get to their target? Can I go straight to the target? Once it's in the target, is that the attack? And so if you can explain it to me and to all our listeners. I'm staring at the page right now. You know, I guess I skimmed over this because, yeah, this is a little more opaque. A group of people sitting at a table, they will they will have to come to a common understanding of what a subtle weapon is and what a subtle weapon is not, because there isn't there isn't a list. Like I haven't gone and looked at the equipment list or the assets list. Rather, does it say this weapon is subtle? So it says a, a subtle weapon is like needles and stuff. Yeah, it's not like say Octon Cthulhu or Conan, where the weapons have all these qualities and effects that are objective and inherent to the weapon itself. A needle gun is not inherently subtle or or not subtle 
or bold. It all depends on how you use it, which actually in a way is it's in line with the, the kind of the, the, like the, the weirdo use of drives. Yeah. So, I mean, like you could take a needle gun and because it's, I would assume quieter, maybe smaller, maybe it's more inclined. It's better at being used for subtle things. But if you stuff it in someone's face and pull the trigger, that's, that's not subtle. So I actually like that assets are not inherently subtle or bold or something like that. It's all about how you, you use them. Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure it matters because it, it just talks about in the movement rules, moving an asset subtly and moving yeah. an asset boldly. It doesn't say that you can only, you know, move a, because there are subtle weapons or a thing, but it doesn't then say you can't move a non-subtle weapon subtly. And likewise, it doesn't say you can't move a subtle weapon boldly. I think that's, remember that, and I don't think we've said this explicitly, but in a, in someone's turn, you, know, you have a round and a round is made up of multiple turns. Everybody, every character, NPC or, or PC, in a round gets to take one turn normally. And you only get to do one thing. You move or you, in this case, attack. So you use an asset or you move an asset. And I think that the you're, you move an asset in order to... I guess put it in a position it in such a way that you have either can use it the way you want to, or you will use it with maximum advantage. Yeah. But looking at the the pages here, I'm looking at 172 and 173. You have movement, moving assets and dueling reflects moving weapons and defenses to attack and defend different areas. And then attacks is the following is how the conflict overview, which is a few, few pages earlier, applies to dueling. And then your the attack itself is is using it. It's just that it's like so. Their example is basically vague. It it's, it talks about that you can have you. It says essentially says you start you have an asset in each hand, and those start in your left and right zones. And it says what you want to try and do is move your asset from there into the enemy's like body essentially, which makes sense. But what it doesn't explain is how you get it. To the zone and what the other person's doing so it's like well i i can get it into their left zone by just moving it as i haven't got it into their left zone do i then need a separate move to move it into their body zone and then i can make an attack or do i move it two in one go on the one hand it's it's taking this framework of zones which for warfare could be worlds for intrigue between yeah. uh, merchant guilds or houses or something over politics. It could be worlds or star systems, or it could be a city or who knows. I mean, the, the, as, a, as ideas, these zones are seemingly yeah. infinitely uh, uh, flexible, but it almost seems like they've taken it and they've applied it in a deceptively crunchy way yeah. that is actually, now that I'm reading it in more depth, is is a little confusing and the problem well maybe more than a little the problem with it is that again they provide a short example about movement and you're right it says he uses lots of a lot of subtle moves now given that you can only move or use an asset in a turn does that mean that does does that short sentence does that represent multiple turns kara makes lots of bold moves taking her blade close to nasser's personal zone 
And then they go on and they talk about creating a trait or asset. In the skirmish thing, they give a very, very clear thing of a setup for a combat and then literally action by action, one character, then the enemies, then another character, then that character doing the press, the initiative. And it's got sort of like seven, you know, it's a full round of combat, very, very clearly spelled out how it works. But they've done that in the one set of conflicts that I already know how that works because it's the same as every other role-playing game ever. But in some of these other ones, I mean, again, warfare is pretty straightforward because, it, you know, we know in that that we've got ships and tanks and ornithopters. And so either, you know, we're looking at individual things or we're looking at units. And the only real difference there is that it makes a reference to, I can't find it now, some kind of, there's a, like a critical zone thing and you have to take control of the, the critical zone to win. It basically says in it, it's not just about destroying the enemy. Um, it should be about, you know, there should be more than that. So maybe you're taking out a particular piece or you're taking a particular area and it's who controls that wins. You know, I, I found that interesting because my graduate level academic background is military history. And so I looked at that and I said, well, Napoleon would disagree. Uh, you know, the idea of going after your enemy's army or his his ability to resist, not a specific, not, not a position, like we're going to capture this city. Uh, I found that an interesting assumption. And, you know, who knows, maybe that's something that plays out in the literature. I, um, I had to correct myself that my familiarity with Dune is greater than the David Lynch movie and the Great Iron Maiden song. I did read the book Dune, but I read it like 30 years ago. And so all I remember was it was a cool book. Maybe this kind of warfare is what is experienced in the, the books, but I, I found that kind of, uh, I would disagree with that. But yeah, you're right. The warfare is, I think, pretty straightforward. I would actually be inclined to initially, I mean, you can you could fight one-on-one -on -one combat using the skirmish rules. And I think I would, until I worked through and got a player or two to work through the dueling rules a few times so that we could either feel like we made sense of them as they are written or came to our own understanding that we could all subscribe to and then we would use it. Yeah, that's some... Um, Modiphius, you need to write better examples. Kidding me? <laughs> I mean, they just haven't written it. They've written examples in the wrong places. I mean, again, there's like, there's a whole yeah. bunch of examples in the warfare thing, but like, yeah, I get that. And even though it says, oh, there should, this is you, when it, it does say, this is usually a strategic zone. I don't see any reason at all why it says the objective has to be agreed upon, but you could easily agree that the objective is just, well, who wipes out the other or who kills the right. other opposing commander. So I th that, that works fine for me. I said the dueling rules I am confused by because it sets up what seems like a cool idea of having where your weapons are in relation to each other and then just doesn't explain at all how it works in play. Just right. And because it's a weird idea, I'm like, yeah, I'm lost. And then we've got two other ones, which although they're different things like espionage is, the espionage and the entry rules are, are similar but different. I, I kind of think... They're both, the, the intrigue rules are probably more, are more subtle and usually is getting involved with people and finding, you know, finding out information and so on. Whereas the espionage rules is also can be information and stuff, but it could be, there could be an assassination at the end. Um, 
both of them. Or stealing something. Yeah. I mean, I, I see looking at intrigue, it's second paragraph on page 184 is intrigue is a social conflict and so bears some similarity with espionage. But in truth, it is closer to warfare using generally intangible rather than tangible assets. Yeah, you're not going to win a conversation by smacking someone in the head with a bat. You're going to bring up something that you know about them or you know they would like to keep covered or, or hidden or something like that they're related but yeah they i i see them as as being distinct um i like the idea of espionage because on the one hand you could play out an espionage scene like a break-in and stealing a, or you know sabotaging a piece of equipment you could do that like you would in like a spy game like top yeah. secret si and your character would be there doing it. But I think it makes more sense in Dune that if your character is some kind of up and comer in the house, you might go do the job yourself, but more likely you're gonna have some kind of skilled flunky who's gonna do it for you. And then we bring in those supporting characters and you you work through this system. I mean, the way I kind of see it is that the both of these are designed for more that kind of that higher top level play because yeah. If I think if you're actually going to be, I'm going to be at the ballroom and I'm going to be meeting people, then you, you kind of can use the entry thing. But the idea of movement and attacks, it's like you could leave that and you could just go with, we're at a ball, there's someone, we want to talk to this person and we've got to get on their inside and be nice to them. And you can just role play that and, and do the normal sort of contests and stuff. And you wouldn't really have to look at this. Same with the espionage thing. If you were just like you said, the separate step-by-step, step, we're going to case the joint, we're going to find some information, we break in, we steal something, we escape. You can just run that as normal with the normal rules. These, to me, are more set up if you're wanting to do that top-level house thing where you send someone to do something and you've got to position assets and your assets are the little, the people that you're sending to work things out. Um, and then that kind of idea works, it's great. One of the things I found a bit odd in the espionage thing, again, it's how they've tried to set it up in the zones thing reminded me of the Psy War rules in Infinity, where you basically have like a relationship diagram between different groups of people. So if you're trying to get to like the guy at the top, you had to find a group and then you made a link between that group and another group and you made a link between that group and where he stays. And then that gets you to the final person all through just talking and role playing. But that was by far the worst part of the Infinity rules because it, again, it was badly explained. It didn't make any sense. And you kind of went, am I doing this through role-playing and talking? Or am I doing this from a kind of like almost board gaming type way? And it was not clear. I remember with fourth edition D&D, they introduced the skill challenge, with which on paper at first glance seemed like a neat idea. But it always broke down into just sitting there and rolling and rolling and rolling. And it just became a mechanical exercise. Yeah. You know, something I just thought of, though, with these these multiple conflict subsystems or multiple conflict manifest adaptations, whatever. So intrigue is something you would do. And this is, this is a canned example they use again and again and again is, you know, the, the people from the houses, they run into each other at balls and they have social conflicts with one another. Okay. So you could do that and you could have your main player characters at this ball interacting with and trying to socially, politically outflank their opponents. And you could run cutscenes of your expert agents breaking into those that enemy house's facility on the other side of the planet and run it as an espionage conflict. You could go back and forth between, I mean, think about cinematically a movie that would do that. So the, the, the main protagonist and the main antagonist are at a ball talking about things, but 
the, the player character protagonist has a earbud. So it's updating them on things. And so that espionage scene suddenly gives them, you could have a situation where the espionage is successful and they get the dirt that they need, which then becomes an asset to use in that intrigue conflict at the ball. That could be a cool back and forth, which I just realized like you, you could do with this because you're using supporting characters and you have these different expressions of conflict. Just don't challenge someone to a duel. Yeah. I think actually, as long as you stick to the basic rules of how the game's meant to work, the idea of, you know, our basic 2D20 rules plus assets and traits and the basic idea of how conflict is meant to work and how defeat works. And also, you know, you can use things to create assets. I think then the rules let you do a whole bunch of stuff. I think where they've gone, they've tried to give you an idea of how you can use these rules, but then in kind of trying to put it as a, here's a system for this, uh, but then explaining it really badly, it actually makes it, I think I'd be better off like the, the, everything you just described of the, I'm going to use my supporting characters doing espionage while my main characters are at a ball doing, you know, intriguey stuff. I think I could run that much easier using the base rules and not looking at these or maybe looking at the right ideas, but not trying to use the systems on the page, which is exactly what I did in Infinity when I used Cywar. I just, I had the idea of relationship diagram and I used that when I played the written adventures to like know that I had to talk to person A because he had information to get to person B who could then get me an introduction with person C. But I didn't follow the rules necessarily as such because it didn't fully make sense. And I didn't need to. I knew what I wanted to achieve and what the players needed to achieve and how it was going to work in the story. It's the same here. I think actually they've, they've made it more complicated than needed to be by trying to add in these extra... They're not really systems. They are just like, here's how you can do intrigue using the conflict rules. But in the way they've written it is try to make it seem like here's another extra layer of complexity. And there shouldn't be, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be there. They could have just stuck with the basic stuff. No, I think you're right. I think that um, you could just use the basic conflict rules, the generic ones, and figure out a way that works at your table to handle dueling or just use skirmishes to do dueling. I think warfare... Warfare works as long as folks agree. I think the idea of gr agreeing upon the objective in advance is kind of silly. Although maybe, again, maybe this is something it does It does say in there that warfare between the great houses is highly regulated. That was a, that's a, a quote from the book. And maybe, maybe that's something that's in the, 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 the novels. Like, you know, you get the two teams walk out and they flip a coin and they say, okay, house, uh, house, you know, whatever, Atreides, you have to do this and you, you, you want to receive or you want to kick. I, I don't, I, maybe it's like that in the, in the books. I, I love the idea of like, there's the, there's like the office of warfare regulation. Right. And the war kicks oh off gosh. and there's a guy with a clipboard and his assistant next to him. Oh, no, no, you didn't say you were bringing that tank. Take that, take that tank away. There are no, we're just using ornithopters and land troops, no tanks. And get, I saw that drip shot, drop ship, get rid of that. Is it a guy with a clipboard and a white pickup truck? Because here in the States, the white van it's, it's a, it's a, it's a clipboard and a white pickup truck. And if something goes wrong and a guy in it with a pickup truck and a white clipboard shows up, you know, you're screwed. It's going to take hours to resolve. Like you just know it, especially one of those metal clipboards that opens up and you can like put stuff in, yeah. then, you know, you're toast. Yeah. Some awful pencil pushing middle managing bureaucrat would come out and say, I'm sorry, how many ornithopters did you register in advance of today's warfare exercise? Yeah. That's the kind of stuff that if the modifius police are not creeping up on you, your house in England and, and penalizing you for doing that to uh, infinity. They're not going to catch me over here. 
So I'm fine with modding that at my table. <laughs> I'm okay. I assume when it says highly regulated, it doesn't mean, I, I, it does not mean that. Because that idea, that's a whole new kind of June comedy thing going on here where warfare never happens and you're having to spend all your time assassinating the regulators <laughs> who are coming to stop your fun. Because they're not going to be happy with the way you're conducting your uh, warfare. Yeah. But like I said, maybe maybe that is, I'll bet that's something. I, I can't see Modiphius in, the, in their treatment of, of um, intellectual properties. I can't see them just throwing something in there like that. That's got to be something from, uh, from one of the books. That's got to come up somehow. Pulling back, I do like, I'm confused by the opaque dueling system. I'll put that one aside. I like the other four. And I could, I could see using them, you know, switching between them. Or if you had a proficient group that was bought in and got the idea of these, you know, conceptual zones and off, of, you know, playing off against literal ones, you could do a cool um, series of cut scenes. And I think you could, you could do some neat kinds of conflicts um, and be able to get people to recognize like, okay, espionage is a different thing than, than intrigue or warfare with your tanks. Um, people get that, but how you play it out being a little bit different, I think would be, um, would be neat at the table if everyone is, again, like social contract wise on the same page. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm definitely not as hyped about this as I was a week ago when I kind of read a brief overview and I really like like the house creation stuff and all that and i was like this is amazing yeah and now having read bits of these little rule things i'm like oh i really don't like these bits but actually kind of having chatted over with you i think actually it doesn't really matter because like you said you we can just i could easily use the basic conflict rules and not have to worry about these other things which kind of just shows again they, they did a good job of like writing the basic rules and the basic narrative rules ironically what they i think they've kind of got themselves caught in between two houses here. They wanted it to be a relatively straightforward narrative game, but they wanted to make it clear how you could do these other different things. But then they didn't want to do too many rules on these, so they just haven't explained it well. I mean, they've got themselves mixed up between the difference between sort of having lots of rules and having not many rules, but very good explanations and examples. And so they've gone like, you know, last week, it's great, the warfare rules are four pages. And it's, it's like, yeah, but unfortunately, the intrigue rules are also only four pages and we could have done with eight because we could have done with just way more examples. Um, but overall, I still think uh, the, the fact that you can play this game from a house level and if you wanted to break down to the little guy breaking into a facility and he's going to have a like a fight with someone on the way and then you zoom back out to your guys in their palace kind of you know twiddling their thumbs with white cats going, we're taking over the other houses. Um, you know, I, I, that's, there aren't many other role-playing games that let you do that high level of stuff. Um, and I still think that's cool. You could gracefully move back and forth between those. This, this isn't, this would not require you to clear the table literally and put new stuff on the table or ask someone to turn to another part of the rule book to say, okay, now we're doing, you know, like the, the, I remember when I used to play D and D a lot is there's always that question of, oh, crap, now we have to do mass combat. How are we going to do that? Well, that's a whole other system we have to employ. Or even like the, the way back in the olden times when I played the FASA Star Trek, the start, they had a Starship Combat board game, which was meant to work in concert with the, the role-playing game, but the rules were entirely different. And you need all these pieces. This doesn't require you to do that. So you could, you could go granular or go big, and the, the, the systems are the same. Again, just don't challenge someone to a duel 
and want to use those those rules. Um, I kind of feel right now like like what I ought to do is reread that system again and again and try to work through it and try to come up with a a fully like write a narrative example as, as what ought to be in this book. And, and we could bounce off, you know, maybe both of us could do that and look over it and see like, well, what, where does it seem like we both understand it? And where do we still not understand it? Because I think I, I get things easiest when I try to see them in action, yeah. not just reading them. Or we could politely ask Modiphius to do it for us and then we wouldn't have to. <laughs> no, what we will do is we will, we will offer our expertise and experience and then they'll give us store credit. Or they'll ask us to work on future books and we'll make very little money, but doing a lot of work writing their books, but you know. Hey, that's all right, you know. I have a good day job. Yeah, it's not like I rely on my uh, sales through drive-through RPG for, for like, you know, living on. It's how I buy stuff through drive-through RPG by using the credit I build up. That's called alchemy. <laughs> you know, that's all it is. It's alchemy. Yeah. I make up stuff. I turn it into other yep. made up digital yep, but stuff. But it doesn't become something you can eat or, uh, or support no. your family with. Yeah, it's just alchemy for hobby purposes. It's, it's nice sometimes when I don't have to pay for something off drive through because, oh, I've got that much going. Excellent. Well, what do we want to do? What do we want to do with this next? Because I think that thus far we, and I don't, I don't think that we are being shameless fanboys. Uh, we like the system. We have. I think we were last week. We're definitely not this week. No, but you know what? I, I honestly, it's like just because something is, just because something is, I'd say overwhelmingly good doesn't mean it's perfect. I don't know. And I don't, that's just reality. Uh, I haven't, it's funny, actually, earlier today, I was, I wouldn't call it an argument because I don't do those on Facebook because that is pointless. But a guy I know here locally who is a, he is an alien role-playing game fanboy. I mean, oh my gosh, like alien is his Harry Styles. It's, it's, it's bad. Um, just loves the game so much. And, it, and the game can do no wrong. And so there's this been this big discussion in his Facebook group where people are bitching about the panic um, subsystem because they're saying it's kind of broken in some situations. And he just like won't accept that other people have a different view of it than he does. So no big deal. You know, I, I love the system. I think Dune is, is really interesting. I think though that dueling is a problem and uh, getting some examples from them would help make sure that what we are understanding the systems to be is what Modiphius understands the systems to be in the writing of it yeah and i think my worry is the kind of we've read all pretty much all the 2d20 stuff there is we're familiar with all the systems and if you and me don't understand what they're trying to get across someone picking this up with no 2d20 background knowledge will have no idea what is going on yeah and it, all it needed was like you said is it was a one or two page run through of what the dueling looks like in in practice and the same with the the intrigue and the and the espionage just here's a two pages of here's how it's going to work and then it would be like all right i totally get that i mean super super clear you know i wonder i wonder how much in-house the modifius folks play their own games i mean it would be something as simple as them just recording a, a dueling session and then writing a transcript from it and then shaping it up yeah. into a, a narrative that would be it yeah i mean it's not a not difficult. It might be the kind of thing. Might actually just send them a, a email or pop it on the Facebook thing to actually say, "Look, guys, you could do with just writing this up and then throwing it on." You know, they release a newsletter every single week. 
they would be very easy then to write one of these up yep. and go right now there is plus then people who don't have the dune thing could look at that to see are they interested in that to get them into the game as well but right now i'm thinking like someone even if it is us working out doing a play you know a written example of how this game's meant to run in those particular things i just literally i don't think the du the dueling's playable in the form they've given us it because it's like hey, it makes no sense um i'm amazed that someone didn't read through that and go actually yeah as written this doesn't make any sense well i've heard it as i've heard that general idea referred to as the curse of knowledge that when people are, are chest deep in something and you get several people together who are chest deep in something, they don't recognize that there are outsiders who don't get it the way they get it. And they, to them, it seems very obvious. And the problem is, we've said this before, but writing functional text, that is text that describes process, is really challenging. Oftentimes, people will look at things and say, well, it's very obvious. See, it's we describe contests like this and conflicts like that. So clearly, all this strangeness with where my zone knife this that how all those things fit in the little diagram with the circles and the half moons around them that are in the book <laughs> clearly that makes sense like well not to the rest of us it did when i didn't read it closely no. <laughs> it was when i read it closely and went uh no no you've you've not explained this you think you've explained this but you haven't no if the communication no. has not taken place overall I think Dune has a lot of promise. I'm really interested in it. I'm, I don't know how interested I am in Dune as a setting itself, but I'm definitely interested in these subsystems aside from dueling and maybe looking at using them in, in other 2 die 20 systems. I, I do like what I see. Yeah, I still like the idea of, like you said, using it for sort of Game of Thrones or a Game of Thrones-alike thing, using the house system and the that kind of level of play. I think it would work really well for that. Um, and I'm still looking forward to later in the year seeing the Dune film and then being able to, you know, I've got a role-playing game that does That's that. That's right. You know it'll happen. Yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Good. I think you're right. Well, have a great week, Chris. It was good to talk to you. Thank you so much for listening. You can visit our show's homepage at anchor.fm slash Fluff and Crunch. That's F-L-U-F-F-N-C-R-U-N-C-H. We would really appreciate feedback and reviews on whatever podcasting platform you're listening to this on. Thanks so much.